This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PD Bob, and with me I have Mr. Jeff Robinson, Val Heffelfinger, and Sean Morgan coming in. Good day, Governor! It, oh, hi, how you doing, Bob? Is that what Canadians sound like now? That was Reese Richard Robbins. Oh, okay. Uh... <laughs> good one (laughs) (laughs) so uh today we have a jam-packed episode for you guys we got some tournament coverage i did mention last week that we would be talking about some of the tournaments we did failed to cover at the early end of december so we're gonna do that there were actually a lot of tournaments in the early months of december just kind of jam-packed in there but there were a lot of smaller tournaments you know um 16 person 20 people etc etc um, so we're not going to talk about all those. We're just going to talk about one major and three brief GTs uh, that our boy Peter the Falcon pulled up some stats on and summarized some lists for us. So give him a shout out. And then after that, we're going to talk about this this bombshell this that Reese dropped on the community, which is the LVO 2019 Warmer 40k events update. Uh, we were originally going to talk about just the terrain update uh, and then go into terrain strategies and tactics and how you guys can use that in your games Um, but we're going to devote a little bit more of the time because reese not only dropped the terrain guide that he said he would drop but he also dropped the code of conduct and the bcp list uploader standardization of all uh frontline gaming tournament events including the las vegas open Um, so we're going to talk about that uh it should be a lot of fun i know we have a lot of opinions on it um this is going to be great. And then, of course, at the tail end of the episode, we're going to talk about terrain and and how we and terrain and how we um, play around it and use it on the tabletop to our advantage. Okay, so first things first, we're going to move on to the terrain, the tournament coverage. Uh, there were there are four events, like I mentioned earlier. There was one major and three GTs. Uh, the three GTs were very quickly the Rudder GT um, was on the 8th of December in Utah. It's played by 43 players. The, this is basically uh, some of the best players in that region all showed up and played some great 40K. Uh, Michael Snyder won with a Valhallen Brigade and Castellan and Custodes bike list, kind of like the traditional Castellan list that you'd expect. Um, but instead of Blood Angels, he brought Custodes bike captains, and he defeated Richard Kilton, um, one of the better Orc players out there right now, guy who almost took Orc Index, Index Orcs all the way to SoCal Open um, at the top table. 
Still still clinging on to top orcs. Still clinging on. Yeah, Stephen Pamperine's coming for him though. Oh no, Velvio. And, and uh, no, just before as a... that, Steve's got like Steve's got three scores in. It's he's gonna probably take it before before Velvio. Are you sure? Yeah, what man. if he absolutely bottoms out at Velvio? Well, no, then it'll come down to Velvio. I'm just saying that. Yeah, it pretty much always does. Coming yeah. coming coming into it though. That's that's good. true. Uh, so. So that and uh, as a quick aside, uh, if you're someone who who likes keeping up with some of the faction scores, or if you just want to know who the best players are, for or if you are competing for a best in faction in ITC, uh, the LVO it, there there's a lot of tight races in there, like Steve Pamprey and Rich Kelton. I'm sure there's someone else thrown in there who could probably win the whole thing if they go undefeated at the LVO. The LVO is just worth that many points. Um, so that's something that you guys can follow along with next year, the Las Vegas Open, on top of all of the other amazing coverage. Should should be a lot of fun. Um, but if you're interested in weird, unique lists, there are actually a lot of interesting, out-of-the-ordinary lists that went really well and performed really well at the Rudder GT. Uh, lists like Deathwing Terminator's list, and there was uh, an Eldar Corsair's list, and then there was a Tau list with a bunch of crew in it. So um, there's a lot of interesting lists. If you want to look at those lists, check out check them out on the BCP app. Uh, the Rudder GT is what it is. Get a subscription to the BCP app and check those lists out. Next up, we had this weekend, there were two GTs. There was the Battle for the Shield, which only had 32 players. Uh, I'd say the most important thing noted about this li- this event was that Nick Rose won with uh, his Gene Sealer Colts Tyranid style list. Um, it's, it's another very powerful or it's another good quality win for Nick Rose, um, who's making a big push coming into the second half of the season to go potentially for the whole thing. So Nick Rose has been performing really well. He's he's a great player. Um, he's up there. And so, of course, if he wins your event, you got to keep an eye on that. Also, uh, draw a shout-out to Todd Silver, who's also been doing well with really well with Tau. I imagine he's loving his new chapter-approved Tau update. Um, he was running Riptides and 45 drones, but I imagine he's probably going to bring something a little different to the LVO. And that tournament uh, but, was not chapter approved, though, by the way. Oh, it was not. It was not chapter approved. I, I did. I did know that. I just forgot to mention that. So Todd, I'm sure he's going to bring something other than Riptides and 45 drones. Um, and then finally, the Crucible of Winter GT was 31 players, uh, one by, or basically topped out by two Imperium lists. Um, one with one one by Cadians uh, with a uh, Terran Knight Lancer. Um, which is kind of interesting, just the Sarasis Knight Lancer um, and some Helverins. And then uh, Derek Simon was also undefeated, running a Catachan Brigade with Castellans. So there's also cool Ultramarines list. Chris Goslin, you're the man for running pure Ultramarines and Dark Angels and stuff. Yeah, so like that's a, it. a mechanized Ultramarines list. Yeah, it was, it was really... It was really interesting. Um, unfortunately, the lists are not posted on on the BCP app, but there is a Google Drive doc that, if I remember, I will put in the show notes so you guys can look at those lists. Uh, and then finally, the games of Westeros Five Major in Vastera, Sweden, uh, had seventy players. Uh, this was the this is I always really like talking about the games of Westeros every year because. Um, Sweden has a core group of ITC players that have been pushing for us in the EU for for the get-go. Uh, I was looking at actually my podcast listens uh, across the entire world, um, and there was a large concentration of people listening in Sweden um, as opposed to the rest of the region around them. Uh, so really cool. Also, for you Swedish listeners, thank you so much for listening. I know you guys email me all the time. 
Um, but you guys have a quality event happening up there, and also you guys are the best for for uh, helping us out, the ITC. And being sexy people. And being super, super sexy. <laughs> <clears throat> the winning list for the Games of Westeros, five major, I'm just going to call it the Games of Westeros, uh, was Mr. Andreas Berglund, uh, who was running a, 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 well, it's your kind of your typical Katachen, you know, list with um, <clears throat> with Artemia Pattern Hellhounds. Uh, the, I think it, he had a knight. I actually just dropped my phone. He had a uh, House Raven yeah, Knight. Yeah, yeah. And House Raven Knight Castellan, kind of your normal flavor of the month or flavor of the year. Um, Imperial Knight Guard list with some Sisters mm-hmm. of Battle thrown in there. Yeah, uh, three units of Seraphim and the uh, Celestine and the Dialogus to give them the extra acts of faith. Yeah. And apparently uh, at the event, he was really happy to win with this list because he was able to take uh, a, a kind of a standard list in Castellan and Guard and then um, use Sisters alongside of it and make some really interesting combinations like with, uh, for example, the Dialogus and using the Dialogus with the Artemia Pattern Hellhounds to blow them up and generate extra things. <laughs> I, I'm not actually exactly sure how that worked. I think Peter explained it to me and then I just, I just kind of didn't understand. I was like, oh, that's cool. But <laughs> you're a great game, Pablo. <laughs> yep, yep. There you go. Sorry, I just, I just, uh, just muted my mouth. I just recovered from a huge coughing fit. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you like <clears throat> farted inside of yourself, and then we're like trying to trying to what, Jeff? Well, I've never, I've never seen someone fart inside of themselves. But whatever was happening to you, it was. I felt your stress. <laughs> um. All right. It's. I, I think it's. I think it's that that cold Swedish air coming in or i'm probably a little sick anyways congratulations to andreas for getting first place uh and doing very well um i'm curious to actually hear what what players like andreas are running so we had who are going to be running what they're going to be running um post chapter approved uh now that sisters of battle have uh changed um we'll just say that uh, obviously i think he's probably going to take out celestine and the, and the seraphim because they don't do quite what quite what their roles were before um, so I think you're probably going to see that kind of detachment go away. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Andreas does mo- moving along with his sisters. Uh, in second place, we had Stefan Thorin <clears throat> with a Dark Eldar list. He had, uh, uh, well, first off, he didn't have a Dark Eldar. His first attachment was actually um, a mixed Eldar list with Farseer Skyrunner, a Warlock Skyrunner, a Warlock, a bunch of Rangers, seventy units of Shining Spears, uh, Urien, Rakarth, a homunculus. Actually, his list is just a, a code, mix of everything. Anyways, well, I mean, he's running <clears> I have no idea what that list is. By the way, it's it's <laughs> really like it's second place Dark Eldar surprise. No Dark Eldar. Anyways, <laughs> it, it's a it's, it's basically a mix of yeah. a bunch of Eldar. Go ahead, go ahead, Sean. No, take it away. He's running the the Prophets of Flesh Battalion with the the Talos and the Rax and Urien and all that, oh. and then he has the Blackheart Spearhead with Ravagers to the shock and surprise of everyone, uh, and then he has an Elytok Battalion to hold his backfield. So we don't okay. read Eldar, Jeff. That's what it is. Well, yeah. I think we should start reading Eldar. Yeah, you're probably going to see at least be? one of them at LVO. <clears throat> I think that build, too, is going to be super popular at LVO. That the was... Talos and the Rax? 
Well, uh, three Ravagers in an Archon is mm-hmm. not that expensive, and it's nasty as shit. It's so yeah. good against everything. Yeah, grotesques and, the... and racks are gonna do real oh, well on yeah. close ruins and things like yeah. that. And just and... the ability to shut down that that one stratagem that changes the game yeah. through Blackheart. You don't even need to do it twice. You probably only need to do it once per game. As, that as... can completely change the way a game goes. As an Arc player who's super excited about Ludas. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a problem. No, I think those grots will stay right where they are. They're not getting in front of anything. <laughs> that's correct. Um, so, uh, moving on to third place, Mr. Carl Abrahamson, um, who is running. Uh, it says Tyranids on here, but I would say that this is kind of like the the standard Tyranid Gene Circle Astromel Terum list. Um, Jeff, I know you can't tell us specifics. But uh-huh. how different is this list going to change? So he was, the, for the listeners, he's running three Neurothropes, a bunch of Gene Sealers, Termagants, six units, or six Hive Guard and one unit, and then a Gene Circle Detachment of two Maguses, three Neophyte Hybrid Squads, a big unit of Aberrants, and then a, a Astromil Terram Detachment with three Heavy Weapon Mortar Teams, and that's it. So when the Gene Circle Codex comes out, how different is that list going to be? Well, obviously, like you said, without getting into detail, it's extremely different. Um, I think people that are playing Gene Sear Colt don't take guard detachments or maybe even Terran detachments because they get really, really excited about all three of them together. I think they know that that's kind of the better list right now in the index. But when the codex drops, you're going to find it really difficult, I think, um, to fit in Terranids and guard. And you're going to be very happy with that. Right on. Now, there... Another thing with the announcement that Reese put out on Frontline Gaming, uh, he also announced what the cutoff date would be for uh, any new rules or new publishes, publishing things by GW. And that's actually, I think, January 7th was the was the date. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't know when we're getting the Gene Steeler Colt Codex. Uh, so for you, Tyranid and Gene Steeler Colt players, I would continue practicing with your gene stealer list, gene circle list, whether you're running like a Nick Rose thing or or doing something more traditional like this with with one of each, um, one detachment of each army or codex, um, but uh, it's 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 going to be close because we're coming in. It's it's already December seventeenth. No, I, I would very, I don't know the date just right off the bat. I'll tell you that, <clears throat> but like what they surprise you with pre-orders on Christmas, you know, in yeah. a week from now. I don't think so, and then. Mm. It would have to be a week or two after that that everything's out in order for it to be legal for LVO. Um, yeah. I would tell you, without knowing, again, 85 to 90% certainty, do not count on it. So if you've got, if you're just like sitting there like, I'm, I'm just, I'm F5ing the GW website, don't. Just play with <laughs> other things and count on that. Yeah, just, although January 8th seems like a really weird day to pick as the cutoff. Tuesday. Well, that's a month ahead of the yeah, tournament. It's like yeah. 30, yeah, it's like 30 days. <clears throat> is yeah. that just what it is? <clears throat> that's the typical for a lot of tournaments. Yeah, one month ahead of the event is their cutoff date for new rules. Um, yeah. yeah, not the LVO. Anyway. Now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't email Reese and complain that that's way too far <laughs> in advance. And I'm not telling you that it's going to be close, but we won't make it. But I'm not, not telling you that. Well, but why is... Why is the why is there a, a rules cutoff in the first place, Pablo? Uh, so, so there were a lot of complaints, um, and and this is something you'll see online, kind of kind of highly highly publicized, um, which is basically there are a lot of complaints about like the 
the uh, SoCal Open and the BAO consistently every year about the the later cutoff dates that Frontline Gaming has, right? So um, <clears throat> a perfect example is two years ago, uh, we had a player at the Bay Area Open who, who flew out to California a week early, um, and then GW dropped a, cha- a big change to his army. Uh, it was an FAQ that basically, it was the FAQ that, that made all the uh, Razorwing flocks basically bad. It raised their points by like, it like tripled their points or whatever. If you guys remember that, um, yeah. and so it completely invalidated his army. Um, but he'd flown out to California like a week early, um, which is not a lot of time. Usually, cutouts for most ter- cutoffs for most terms are like thirty days out. Um, and so his army was was uh, you know basically neutered, and he was uh, rightly, I think, in my opinion, uh, a little upset. <clears throat> so so I think that's kind of the mentality. I think you see here. I think Reese kind of. Um, just just set like a standard 30 days out policy and we have so many people coming out to the lvo um that if you if you were to maybe create like a later cutoff date um you might get a bunch more people upset than normal i don't know um that's just this is just me guessing i'm trying to trying to read into the mind of a man who whose mind cannot be read i thought i thought maybe it might have something to do with the fact that we have to submit our list in a certain format this year oh well we'll get to that val We'll get to that. That was no. that's also that's also probably another I was thing. trying to lob up a second. Another reason My there. Bad. It's, <laughs> we're not we're there yet. Pablo you're jumping the ball. Real early for it. <laughs> it's, it's we're, we're jumping we're jumping the ball about now. We're, okay. we're jumping it. Sorry. All right. Sorry. Well, in fourth place, Mr. Johan Norman um, was running Sisters of Battle. Uh, wasn't a pure Sisters of Battle list, guys. So sorry, Sisters players. Um, but he was running uh, the Brave Thirty Two with a priest and some heavy weapon teams. Um, the typical Blood Angels Smash Captain detachment with Mephiston, uh, and then a Sisters de- uh, Sisters Battalion or a Storsta detachment. I don't know. Does anyone does anyone speak? Does anyone know what a Storsta detachment means? Doesn't it's, mean anything um, to me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Sisters of Battle detachment uh, with Saint Celestine and Canonists, three Battle Sister squads, a Dialogus and Imagifier, a Dominion squad. Two units of Seraphim and some Retributors with Heavy Bolters. Um, and I, I will add that there are a lot of Storm Bolters in there, thrown into that. Um, <clears throat> so kind of kind of your uh, what Sisters are going to be running more now that Chapter Approved is out. Um, but basically a Sisters list with a mix of Guard and Blood Angels in there. Um, and he got fourth place. And then finally, rounding out your top five, Mr. Anton Wilson with a Nurgle Demons list. He's running... Uh, a Nurgle Battalion with Pox Springer, Spoilpox, Scrivener, a bunch of Plague Bearers, and then a Supreme Command Detachment with your three Demon Princes of Zinch. Mandatory three Demon Princes of Zinch, an Abaddon to the Spoiler, and three large unit, units of Cultists with an Exalted Champion and a Chaos Space Marine Black Legion Detachment. <clears throat> so a lot of bodies, kind of your, your typical Chaos, I've got a lot of bodies and you won't be able to kill me and my Demon Princes will kill everything list. Um, something you see pretty common around here. Uh, I'm not sure how good it's going to be going into the LVO after chapter approved, uh, especially because the coldest all went up in a bunch of points, but it's still going to be a, at least at minimum, a gatekeeper list that you guys should expect to see and play against. Um, and if you're not planning on killing hordes with your list, I, I would probably say that you're probably not going to do as well as someone who is planning on killing hordes going into the LVO. Uh, is that pretty safe to say guys? Is oh, yeah. it though? I, is it? I think you're still going to see a I lot of hordes. 
Jeff's Jeff's pulling my leg. He's he's trying to get me to trip up, but jokes on we him. I've already spent done a it. lot of time on the European scene, and they're like six months behind the American scene. So I'm like, we should have done this <laughs> podcast half a year ago. Maybe it would have been more relevant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, I do. I I do know exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah. You better be careful though, Jeff. These these Swedes they might come down to California and Viking you. If they wrap their burly arms around me and we get in a little bit of a sweaty tussle, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I would say that there's probably a Denison online who, who would paint a pretty picture of that, and we would all pay thousands of dollars to see it. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. So that that's it. Um, thank you very much once again, uh, all of the TOs and event runners and judges and participants who participated in those events this month. Um, you guys really make the ITC go around, and you guys always do a lot for promoting the community and being ambassadors of the game to players who are not necessarily playing. Unless so. you don't, in which case you suck. And Yes, in that case you suck. Because just playing in a tournament doesn't guarantee that those things happen, Pablo. They could be douchebags. We don't know. <laughs> Let's keep it safe. You're, you're right, Jeff. You're right, Jeff. We, we can neither confirm nor deny that they I don't know these Swedish anything. people. <laughs> All right? He is, what is up with Jeff on these Swedish people? He's the Swedish-ish person, looking person here on the podcast. The best that. thing about making fun of Swedes is they're so friendly that they will just laugh and then, be, and then like, Steal your girlfriends. Well. Or they, boyfriends, you know. Yeah. Or maybe just, just jump here. right in the mix, you know. Exactly. It's probably more the angle. All right. So let's go ahead and go into this LVO 2019 Warmer 40K events update. Um, so you guys kind of get an idea of what we've been alluding to this whole podcast. Uh, so if you go to FrontlineGaming.org, often you might have already seen this. But if you don't, head on over to FrontlineGaming.org and click on the blog post titled LVO 2019 Warmer 40K Events Update. Uh, there, Reese announced um, some big changes to the Las Vegas Open and in turn uh, changes to Frontline Gaming events. And depending on how how strict your TO, your local TOs hold to the scripture that is the ITC, probably also your events. Uh, there's a lot of big changes that he announced. There's the BCP list uploader, which is basically a standardization of a standard format for people to submit lists onto the Best Coast Pairings Player app to make it easier for people like me and others to look at lists and gather data uh, for, you know, whatever reasons you guys want. Uh, it's super cool. I think I think it's the right call, and I think it's a great step in the right direction. And I'd actually like to apply that to this entire article. I think if you're one of those people who who wants 40K to be legitimized as a real event, a real spectacle, a real thing that should be streamed and, and people should get sponsors for, uh, this article is, is a step in the right direction, and I would probably also argue historic. Uh, if you look at you know ten years down the road, forty k, if forty k has evolved moment. to the point, <laughs> yes, if forty k has evolved to the point where Twitch streams are are commonplace and we've got sponsorships and everyone's streaming forty k like this really big deal, um, I would probably keep this article in mind as a historic turning point in forty k history. Can I just call you Reese Junior now? Do you think is that fair? Or... <laughs> I, I would I would say so. I think you can do okay. that. That's all right. Uh, Little you know, he gave me a script that I'm just oh, reading off of. So I'm just reading the script, guys. I, I, I've been breathlessly anticipating this this uh, this article and these documents for real. I've been watching them sort of work their way through the uh, the ITC uh, tournament yeah. organizers group. Um, and actually, it all kind of, I don't know if it all really set off emotion, but 
there have been a few moments over the last year that have really highlighted the need for something like this, and it's just so awesome to see it here. Absolutely. Uh, and the second thing is, the, of course, the ITC Code of Conduct. Um, I think out of the, the three things that this article introduced, I think the ITC Code of Conduct is probably the one that's going to be mostly used and talked about. Uh, and that's... Uh, uh, the terrain? I'd be, I'd be, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think every table, I don't think every table in, in 40K has, you know, LVO style terrain. Can I tell you something? The amount yeah. of people that are going to read this, by the way. And here's the thing the amount of people that should read it, it should be 100%. Yes. You know how many people are going to actually read it? <laughs> it's closer to 12%. Well, no, it's no, no. Mm-hmm. It's closer to like 4%. And then 2% yes. actually play in tournaments or something like that. What percentage no, no, I don't of mean all work? I mean everyone attending LVO, my brother. Oh, yeah. you saying 12%? Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Mm, yeah, I've I... been around competition my whole life, man. We we do tournaments in StarCraft all the time. We're like, "Hey, did you see that rule?" And they're like, "Fuck no, I just play this game." And we're like, "All right." Well. <laughs> Jeff is pretty spot on here. Yeah. You, the really hardcore people are going to read it, some of them, but not all of them. You're going to see people in the top 8 who probably didn't read this document. Most of them. I agree with that. Yeah. That's probably fair. Now, I guess because I guess we might as well just talk about it now with the the code of conduct. Uh, I do love that it gives agency to players who do read it. it. It'll give you an it'll give you a means to argue your point and communicate your points and have basically a tool to have a good fun game of 40k where there's no real feel badsies, right? Whereas before you might uh, get into an argument with someone on the 40k tabletop and it might devolve into a he said she said argument. Um, you know, you know, lack of communication. Um, you guys might do some dice rolling. They're just basically, in general, just kind of like a muddy, unfun game of 40k. Um, I think with the code of conduct, and I think a lot of things that you guys can take from the code of conduct and just apply it to an everyday game of 40k. Um, I think it'll just make your games just a little bit cleaner, um, so yes, that you guys can focus on more fun things like, like you know, Calgar beating up the Swarm Lord or something. No, Primarnius. Uh, can I take it now? Yeah, Jeff, absolutely. Uh, so first and foremost, actually, the way I would address this whole thing is like, I want to go back to the beginning, just so it's very clear. Like Pablo said, if you're curious about this document, it's on the frontlinegaming.org blog, if you want to call it that, kind of the front page area. And it's literally called updates to 40k events or whatever. Read it. But then it's also going to be on that website. So if you're attending the LBO and you're traveling a large distance and you're eyeing you know, the top eight or you really want to be competitive at this event, you should read this. But my, the first thing I would almost readily say is for a lot, for the vast majority of people, there's going to be like 500 plus players attending. Do not fear this document. This is not, there is no secret gotcha thing in there where if you didn't do it correctly, you're going to be kicked out of this. And you're going to be out a couple hundred dollars. This is mostly common sense. And now I begin to talk about most of the Warhammer people. If you've ever pulled up to a drive-in window at a fast food place and thought about a way you could rules lawyers some free food out of it, or you've gotten complicated answers about the order you already made, this document's made for you because you're a piece of shit that needs (laughs) to have literature down where if you're going to try to be a dick and be weird about Warhammer, there's got to be something written down somewhere so we can kick you out of the event or someone can point a finger at something and be like, you you can't do that. And this this is where this document comes into hand. This game is growing. It's becoming bigger and bigger, and people are spending more and more money to watch it, to play it, and to attend it. If you don't have a document like this, you don't have the legal red tape to enforce rules that have been a part of normal Warhammer for a very, very long time. So that's why I'm saying if you're a newbie and you're just there to have fun, you want to go three and three or 
two and four or, or whatever. You don't even care. Maybe you're playing, you know, friendlies or you're just uh, a smaller tournament, whatever. Read the document because you should, but don't be afraid. It's it's com- like everything you're going to read is stuff you probably should have already known in Warhammer, but has to be written down because some people do take Warhammer to a crazy degree. Um, like this idea that the document now means you can enforce certain things that previously you couldn't. I don't know that that's the correct way to think about it because I read the whole document as everyone should. I don't think there's any crazy thing in there. The, the closest it'll get to it is list review stuff. But honestly, the reason that's there is because sometimes you get these lists that have nothing on it, right? Like it's, it doesn't say where the warlord is and say an attachment. You've got a sorditas detachment or whatever the hell we had earlier. And, <laughs> and then it's, and then it's a little bit harder to deal with stuff. But this also helps you because if you do follow this format, the likelihood that you'll have an illegal list and get, you know, maybe you have a miracle run and you're in the top 16 or whatever, but oh no, you didn't pay for these upgrades uh, and now you're kicked out and people think you're a cheater and stuff like that. This is supposed to help you along that way. So make sure and check this so that you can find it, but also organize it nicely so that people can come to this tournament and be like, ah, your list looks a lot like mine and it has all the information and now we're playing Warhammer and it's really cool. And, And again... Uh, I'd love to hear your guys' input, but the other reason for this document is so that a judge can come over and be like, what's the problem? And then two people will be like, here's the problem. And then one of the guys is going to be like, well, in the code of conduct, it says you can't really do that. And then the judge goes, yeah, he's right. And the guy's like, I didn't read that. He's like, well, that kind of sucks for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah That's I, my whole spiel. Yeah, no, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of that relates oh, back to yeah. stuff you said along the lines of, well it's kind of common sense what you can and can't do or what, what is outside the you know limits of decorum when you're playing a game with somebody. And now I think beyond being able to call a judge over is, is I think a lot of things just, you had bullies able to bully because there was no mm-hmm. necessary recourse because that player may not feel like they actually had something done to them that was wrong. Maybe they just felt like they, you know, just got pushed around a bit or whatever, but they didn't, you know, stand up for themselves. So it was their fault or whatever. But now they've got something they can lean on. They've got they've got judges that can now back them up if if something bad's going on, or if something feels, you know, like it needs to be corrected. And it actually is quite extensive too, um, with with a, a range of potential penalties, um, you know, range, ranging from warnings, dock time, yeah. all kinds of stuff. So I mean, the the judges at the LBO are going to have the ability to actually referee games, which and I is love that it a includes- massive change. It basically straight up says if you use this document to try and like gotcha somebody or technical foul them out of the game, you're you're going to get a penalty yourself, and you're using this document incorrectly. Just and, yep. yeah. And I think that's such an important thing for people to read because anytime, and I already saw it in the comments on Frontline Game. There's already people like, well, I got an issue because here with this wording, I can interpret that as this. It's like, hey man, if you're reading it that way and you want to play this weird thing where you're like, no, no, I'm just doing this so somebody doesn't do it to me. That's I guess that's fine. But here's the thing in Warhammer. No written rule is ever going to be 100% agreed on by everybody. Like almost anything. I've seen I've seen it all, guys. So like I've been around a long time. I didn't think some of the shit could get argued that it has. So let's get past <laughs> the part where we do that and let's agree that the document is trying to protect the people that attend these tournaments and don't know as much. They don't they don't want to get pushed out of a game and feel terrible and they want to they want to have the ability to be like, "No, I read this and you're not supposed to be able to do that." Yeah. And then a judge comes over, and a lot of times, by the way, judges are the people that are so awesome and, and, and are going to dedicate their time, but they're not competing. They don't necessarily know all the rules better than everybody. Like, that would be a cool utopia. They're supposed to know the rules really well, but they don't necessarily. But with this document, 
it minimizes the arguments. And you should not, by the way, look at a nine-page document and think, well, I'm going to argue the shit out of this at my LVO. Because you'll lose a round or get penalized if yep. you're a very good player for being a dick. And and that actually ruins your experience. The so whole, the whole thing don't be is, afraid of this. Use it correctly. The whole thing is governed by a term that they call the spirit of the game. And I think that's awesome. So, like, essentially yeah. the whole document is, is nine pages of defining what the spirit of the game is. But um, <laughs> they also say it very simply as um, these games are about sporting competition between two individuals. Any actions that are unsportsmanlike are not within the spirit of the game. So there you go. You can take it from there, man. Like, that's all you really need to know. Yep. Yeah. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now what's going to happen. So, yeah, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was going to say one other thing that's kind of important to keep in mind here is like Jeff says, this this document is to protect everyone from people kind of being dicks, but that goes both directions. Uh, if you make a mistake, if you submit your list wrong, if you get too heated into an argument and you step over the line, this document also protects you as the player there because it specifies a set of appropriate punishments for these infractions. Yeah. And it makes it less arbitrary. It will mean so that if you come in and you make that mistake, it's like, okay, the punishment for that is a yellow card warning, or the punishment for that is a verbal warning, as opposed to the TO just doesn't like the way you look, and he decides that's a game loss, and you're out of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> go ahead, Jeff. Well, I was just going to like, I think we covered it, honestly. At some point, I'm going to just be beating a dead horse, but I really want to... One last time for me, because I, I, I reiterate myself a lot. Anytime this kind of thing is launched, there's a, there's a vast majority of people that want to attend tournament plays, but this kind of thing kind of scares them. I really mm. want to drive in that that's absolutely not how this should be used or looked at. Mm -hmm. You can attend this tournament and not read it, by the way. In fact, I think most people could. You should read it. We taught, We had that kind of funny back and forth at the beginning. We're like, you should read this. You really should. But it's not a gotcha document. There's not a thing in there that's like, if you don't wear plaid on Sunday, you automatically lose 500 points of your list. Like, that's not what this is about. But I really want you to, there are going to be people that read over this with the idea of, I'm going to find mistakes in it or things to argue, and I want to post online about it. And if you really have, like, an honest concern, cool. Reese is, like, really good about feedback that way. But if you're trying to game it or find something like a gotcha thing or whatever, man, Please stop. <laughs> Just please stop. Yeah. 95% yeah. of people aren't going to need this document. But if you're, you know, if you're in that 5%, you're really going to want it to be there. And that's right, yeah. what it's really for. It's for those occasional situations where a problem comes up, where you want to have something, like Jess said, that you can point to and say, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Right. And and what I really, what I really love about this document is it... It also it does all of those things. It really does do a lot to protect uh, casual players and, and players who maybe fear uh, the kind of the the scary mean tournament whack player that that lurks in, underneath every table. Um, but it also does a lot to legitimize uh, 40k to viewers and to people in general, right? I think where you're going to see a lot of um, kind of parts of this document cited are on Twitch streams, uh, where you get two professional mm -hmm. players. Who, who are really, you know, saying all these things, and you're going to get a lot of these back and forths, um, but you're also going to get, you know, everyone citing the code of conduct and saying, like, oh, uh, Alex did this and declared this, and, and Jeff didn't didn't uh, mm -hmm. 
communicate it properly and so jeff gets a foul and you you, you know it'll help it'll help players it'll help uh viewers follow along on twitch and, and kind of legitimize the sport in general um and also it legitimizes it in another way and i think it's probably the coolest way uh, if you were an aspiring judge or someone who who doesn't like necessarily playing the game or isn't very good at playing the game you're like me um, you, you, you like learning about the rules, you like being a little rules lawyer, but you're not very good at the game, so you'd prefer to take like more of a judge or administrator kind of role uh, in tournaments, that's fine. Read this document, learn it, because it also has stuff in there for uh, procedurals for judges, um, which is something I've always wanted uh, some entity to do, right? Magic does it, Magic has a whole you know, 100 pages of procedures for judges to follow for every single possible scenario that they can think of. Uh, and this is this article is a step in the right direction. So if you're interested in judging for the Las Vegas Open, for Nova, for wherever, uh, read this document, learn it, maybe use it to run your own small tournaments, preferably make them ITC events, but you don't have to, no big deal. But specifically, use this to to become an LVO judge, become a 40k judge, become a 40k community leader in that way. So you don't have to be a good player to to influence 40k tournaments in that respect. Um, so it's really cool. Uh, I'm I'm super excited. Uh, I think the rest of these guys pretty much hit the nail on the head on everything else. Um, is there any final little f final little bows you guys want to add on to this? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. So moving on to the third thing and the the meat of the episode, uh, and that's the LVO terrain guidelines and specifically uh, 40k terrain in general. Um, you can kind of view this podcast as a as kind of like a 101 you know, mini episode, uh, we're going to try and talk about terrain as much as we can. Um, but for the rest of this first half, we'll talk about the LVO terrain guidelines, uh, and how they'll, they'll kind of affect not only the LVO and your games, but also games that you'll play later on outside of the LVO. Um, so the first things first, uh, the reason why these LVO terrain guidelines were put into effect, if you don't know, is because the frontline gaming releases its own ITC terrain, uh, series, uh, where, we produce a bunch of different MDF boards uh, with themes like orcs and urban and gothic, all that good stuff. Uh, but as we've been producing more of our own terrain, we've been com coming into a lot of problems with interpretations. If you listened to the Las Vegas Open coverage last year, uh, a player in the top eight or, or a player in contention for the top eight in the final round of the Las Vegas Open uh, was using some of our terrain not as, in as it's intended to be used. Uh, and Jeff has a great primo jeff rant on the on the topic so i highly suggest you go back to the last year find that episode and listen to it because it's really it's really just primo quality jeff um it's a really fun rant but uh, we decided you know at that point that we were going to try and standardize the itc terrain and um just in general and so this is kind of the culmination of of asking people and you know just looking at the train and basically deciding how how we're going to present the terrain to people and their rules. Um, obviously, as uh, Sean might agree, uh, not everyone agrees with some of these interpretations or some of these uh, definitions, um, but it is how Frontline Gaming re chose to define these terrains. There are the, these pieces of terrain. Um, so the first one is, of course, the ruins. Um, there's basically going to be two types of ruins. Uh, the first ruin is your standard ruin that you'd expect. A piece of terrain, preferably a building, that units infantry can move through the walls. Um, pretty straightforward. If you're in it, you get plus one. You get you get it cover save. If you're not in it, you don't. Um, but there also was a new type of ruin introduced called the enclosed ruin, uh, which are where most of these 
controversy, most of the controversy is. Um, that's basically an enclosed ruin is an ICC terrain building that is completely enclosed, but it's still meant to be played as a ruin, right? So if you played at the SoCal Open or if you if you talk to someone who maybe attended the SoCal Open, the infamous hangar ITC terrain piece, which is basically a big, giant, enclosed field-based hangar um, that takes up a full, you know, one quarter of the board by itself, uh, is being treated as an enclosed ruin, uh, which means you could basically fit an entire infantry army inside of it and uh, operate from it without, you know, worry about being shot or anything like that. Um, there's also yeah, other pieces. Go, oh, go ahead, Sean. Do you, uh, is this where you want to jump in? Yeah, it's a magic box that makes you immune to all attacks um, just due to the way rules. And this is sort of the problem I have with it is that we're we're creating these things that make it so certain armies just don't get to play the game in, in sometimes. Um, and I don't think that's good for things. Um, so, to, so yeah, oh, go ahead, Sean. Oh, so I'll let you, uh, I will ahead. let you expand on that. Cause I think that there's definitely a conversation there and I do agree with you. Um, but Reese brought up some great points too that. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but if you, if you guys remember, or if you guys listen to my podcasts in the past, I've mentioned a lot specifically talk going into the LVO last year about buildings where you need, heavy hitting melee characters to jump in there and chase units out these these enclosed ruins these are the buildings i was talking about so whether you like it or you don't like it the enclosed ruins um they are going to be at the lvo this is at this point they're probably not going to change the rule on this um so i would highly recommend running armies that can go into these enclosed ruins and chase units out Luckily, you won't have objectives in these enclosed ruins just due to the ITC rules, so you don't have to worry about having to flush a unit out holding an objective. Um, but if you need to kill key units, characters, warlords, or, or whatever, um, you, you will have to go in there and you will have to, uh, you know, get add some wet work to your list or whatever you want to call it, um, which does, and I agree with Sean, which does favor certain armies over other armies. Um, but you'll actually uh... find that as as we talk about other tournaments and their terrain, that's true across pretty much all tournaments yeah. because we don't have a standard terrain setup for all tournaments. So, you know, Nova uh, Nova's meta might be different from the LVO's meta, which might be different from Adepticon's meta. And that's whether just an example. Uh, go ahead. Whether or not you think it's a good thing for the game, I think is kind of irrelevant. It's, it's probably the biggest factor... Um, <coughs> That makes the LVO different, um, aside from its sheer size. But the enclosed ruins, pretty much on every table. Am I wrong at this point, Pablo? Like, it's going to be all FLG terrain. No, it will be all FLG terrain. You won't see an enclosed ruin building on every single table. Uh, and not all enclosed ruins are made the same. Um, It'll be damn close. There'll be <clears throat> lots of these buildings around there. You're going to see them in every game. Not, and they, not really. Like, for example, the Orc building... I guess the orc building does have the the, the warehouse there. thing, but the factory thing in the middle. But the the difference between like the orc enclosed ruin, and we might as well just get into this now. Um, the difference between the orc enclosed ruin and the hangar, for example, is the hangar is a, is a lot harder to put units on top of the hangar because it's kind of like more of a dome shape, it's more curved. Whereas the the orc enclosed okay. ruin building has three levels. It has the highest tower level, it has the level above it, and then of course the enclosed ruin part where you're going to be putting all your models inside the building. Um, so it's kind of three layered that way, and so, and it's also a lot smaller too. Um, and there's only one of it on the board, as opposed to maybe an an urban building or an but urban map that has two of those Because Pablo can be kind of confusing sometimes. Yes, <laughs> there will be buildings on every table that you can go into. There's there, but there won't be enclosed ruins on every table. 
That's that's important to know. There's because I, I have seen a majority of the terrain, and there won't be. We don't have enough enclosed runs to put on every single table in, at the LVO. But you uh, just said no. Then describe the orc building as a building you can enter. Right, right. But I, I just gave you an example. That was just an example of enclosed ruins being different from each other. Like the the hangar enclosed ruin versus the orc sure. enclosed ruin, for, because think, every table the LVO is going to have a theme. Only thing I was trying to get at there um actually was just just that like after the lvo last year um we were joking about the the european meta a moment ago but they were like why why didn't flying hive tyrants win everything you know oh you guys you guys didn't even double spears who cares about that you know all this all this stuff but it was just because the train is so different Hmm. and the this and it's even looking at socal like don Houston with his with his uh blight lord terminators and stuff like there's just things you can do in this terrain that just makes the game and what becomes valid unit selection very very different so i think for people who are coming to this tournament uh don't sleep on the fact that it is it's very different and infantry are as a result and combat infantry are much more powerful than it would be in many or indirect fire I, I or indirect fire too yes points I, I i can't disagree with those points 100 percent. i do agree however it is possible to play at the lvo um and i, I imagine this will happen to maybe one in every eight people to play at the lvo and not play a single a, a on a table with a single piece of enclosed ruins. I, I will say that. I it's, really want to save you, Pablo, and like caution that you don't. You're pulling these numbers out of your butt, right? You're, you're right. I am pulling yeah. these numbers out of my butt. I, yeah. I, what I'm saying is, there's people is, listening to this that are going like, to. Right. They're going to hear you. Here, and you're going to get a lot of here, trouble. Here's like. here's the official here's the official <laughs> statement. You will see the enclosed ruins at the at tables at the LVO. They they won't be on every table, but they will affect. They they should affect your list design if you want to do well. But they will not be on every table. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would just leave it at you should plan for seeing it. You should plan for seeing them. Um, <laughs> I mean, even even it's, what it's even just... what even even a, just a regular FLG ruin, okay, cover like is a lot more protected than anyone who's played on you know a realm of battle, but, you know, imperial sector style ruin. But what's like, a, it is what's a regular different. FLG ruin? Like, what's define that? What, what uh, specifically, that? they also count bottom floor as blocking yeah. line of sight, which catches some people off guard. For sure. Because uh, most the terrain that Val is talking about right now has holes in the bottom of it. But at, at the ITC, and the nice thing about this is there'll be a laminated form next to, like, bottom is laminated. Maybe Reese didn't spring for that, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but there'll be a form that kind of describes how every terrain interacts and where it should be on the table, which is really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is the stuff you really should not get cut off guard by. Because it's funny to me. Because we talked about reading the code of conduct, I'm talking about. I'll just drop names like fucking Nick Nadavadi, like came over breathlessly last year at LVO and was like, "Dude, I can't believe this terrain. I had no idea." And I'm like, "What? Like th- this is the thing you can predict." Like Reese shows pictures of it, he talks about it, they play on it. Yeah, it's easy to know. And if anyone's going to the LVO, and again, it's expensive, and I hear people give the shit this speech all the time. I took time off of work. Okay, cool. Do the free stuff. Do the easy prepare. part and, yeah. and read and prepare a list. And do not think that if you bring nothing but like non-indirect fire, no melee units, just straight up shooting, you're like, this is what my list does well. That's fine. Have fun. But do not expect at this tournament for that to do really, really well because maybe it won't. Yep. Maybe it does still, but it probably won't. Right. And, and getting back to what you asked Pablo too, which, which was what would you consider in a standard FLG? Well, the, the original L-shaped FLG ruin. Mm-hmm. which which That's fair. will be on numerous tables is like just the most standard piece of train perhaps in california but it's not <laughs> elsewhere you know so like That's that true. that that piece itself provides cover like provides line of sight blocking on three out of four sides 
Right. And and a, a quick aside here um, that's that's kind of an interesting fact that I've noticed because um, I'm also the guy who, who handles a lot of the processing and shipping of this terrain. Um, I have noticed that a lot of really, really good players have been ordering this terrain from us in bulk. Right. So, and this is, this has been a trend since, since before December. Um, but, you, you know, I can't obviously name any names, but uh, I have noticed that a lot of players have been ordering specific sets and specific pieces of terrain that they know will be at Delvio that they saw last year um, in order to practice for the event. So if, if uh, obvi- it might be a little think, late now, because there's a from- live stream of, of Salty John, like grumpily putting together and gluing together a hanger. <laughs> Right for, for, for his stupid <laughs> hangers, stupid, stupid hangers. Um, well, judge there, though. Did, yeah, he's judging that. Did Did I hear this right on signals that that hanger is not actually going to be in the champs that they're putting it on narrative tables, or am I? Did I hallucinate? Yeah, that there's entirely? there's not a whole hmm. lot. So so that hanger is is so hard, takes so long to build that in order for it to be on the you know a significant amount of the tables to actually impact you know the meta we would have to we have had to start building them like last year like it's just such a big unwieldy piece of terrain so we'll probably see like two or three hangers at the lvo and they're most likely going to be on the narrative tables not so, at, so not in the don't ever change that was like is are they not going to be on any tables and was like yeah uh, we'd have to have been building them last year they were they're, they're gonna be on like three <laughs> tables what the fuck and then he's like oh don't yeah, count on it though like guys, what the fuck i, I, I am saying things you uh, work in the store that obviously, obviously, we're not working on just building one type of train. We've been working on building tons of trains. That's not what he asked. He said, "Is it going to be there?" The answer is maybe on three tables. Maybe right? on three tables uh, on on the narrative on the, the narrative event. There's because that would be a no. There's okay. Well, then then no. But I don't want to say no in case like one one person. We've got a bunch of volunteers, right? Let's say so. One I didn't guy's, hallucinate so that the, the answer. The intention. Uh, so I didn't hallucinate then. The intention is not to necessarily have the hangers on the championship tables. I yes, that. as I as said, okay. yes. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's the intention. If it happens... It's like the White oh. House press office here. Like... <laughs> uh, let me finish. Excuse me. Uh, let me finish. <laughs> oh, man. Are there going to be hangers? I Listen, there's so many tournaments. There's people with stuff there. I, I don't Who's going to have what? Why are you can, asking me? Can you, uh, can what you is find the definition a hanger? of a hanger, even? What is a really? hanger? Yeah. I have a hanger about this question right now. <laughs> All right. So moving on to um, moving on to the, the rest we'll of the We'll get to the debate. Ruins. Sean wants to complain about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, um, the, playing, can I, can Sean, I step in ahead, here Sean. for – yeah. Go ahead, so, Sean, Do your thing. So Pablo has talked a lot about this won't be a problem and it's not an issue and there's not that many of them. <laughs> not what I said. It won't be. It absolutely is what you said. Um, said. It, it won't be a problem until it is um, because there are going to be people who run into a table that has these enclosed ruins and it's going to affect their game pretty significantly. Right. And you can say like, yeah, well, you just have to plan for that. Some armies can't plan for that. Um, take indirect fire. Some armies literally have no indirect fire weapons. Just bring some combat infantry. Some armies don't have any combat infantry. Are you units. talking about Necrons again, Sean? Uh, no, Necrons have both Tau of those. and Dark Eldar and I was just making a joke. Number of other armies. There are a bunch of armies that I feel this kind of leaves out in the cold because they just do not have solutions to some of these problems. Um, and especially because, let's be clear here, the enclosed ruins rule changes the rules of the game. 
that is not following the core rulebook rules or the ITC rules as they previously existed here. And FLG has the power to do that, but it is making a non-trivial change to the rules of the game. And I think you're going to see non-trivial changes to the types of lists people bring as a result. And I don't think, like, are you saying, like, Tau doesn't have a have a chance in this environment? Um, I don't know. I don't know how many of these buildings there are and how prevalent they're going to be in all of this. Uh, but I think it is a significant disadvantage for Tau. I um, think the existence of this rule means that I might not bring Tau to LVO. Yeah. And and I think, and I know, I know you're gunned up for for a little bit of arguments here, Sean, but I I mostly agree with you. Um, And I think that you're absolutely correct in that it's going to make someone feel bad. Even if, even if this, you know, even if this one person, you know, with no, no uh, close combat infantry, no line of sight blocking or no line of sight, ignoring shooting comes onto the board and plays five games at the LVO without any enclosed runes. They're that lucky. Uh, then that sixth game, if they play someone and they happen to be on an enclosed room and they have a bad experience, that automatically equates a bad experience because it only takes one person to have a bad experience. Um, and I, yeah. I think you're right, Sean. I think that's unpreventable at this think, point, especially with these enclosed rooms. Well, I, I don't think it is unpreventable. I think it's very easy to prevent. You just don't implement some of these rules because some of these rules I don't think are necessary. Well, that, that's uh, a decision beyond me. <laughs> well, okay, that's but, cool. But, so what 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 so as far as a rules critique is concerned, what 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 specifically do you have an issue with? Uh I think a big part of it is specifically the enclosed ruin, you know, only infantry can pass into these buildings. Why? Like yeah. I get it, Reese doesn't like the idea that a flyer moves into the hangar, which saying it out loud sounds absurd. Like moving into hangars is what airplanes do. Um but I don't get why this rule needs to exist. It feels like a rule that exists because Reese had a bad experience one time and he doesn't want that thing to, that he doesn't like to happen to someone else and in crea- instead creates a different bad experience. It's like he hasn't even seen episode one where Anakin crashes his cloud fighter inside the, <laughs> the whatchamacallit, and donut really, ship. And then, who hasn't you know, seen such an iconic movie of our time? Everybody should. Certainly Reese needs to spend his time a little bit better. I agree. Now, it's, I don't know, it, I don't see that there is a real game need for the enclosed ruin rule to exist. Um, I understand what Reese thinks it does, but I don't see why that was problematic to the game. Well, and, let me ask you this, though. Yeah. Because I, I think, I think the answer to this wouldn't be that Reese felt it needed to exist necessarily. I think his argument, and I, I want to hear what you have to say this. I'm not saying this is like my Trump, you have no argument to this or whatever. It's it's more just like a, Discussion. his argument is at my tournament, that's the flavor. You have that kind of terrain. And would your argument then just be that there is a threshold and you believe that it's exceeded and it makes this game worse? Essentially, yeah. Like it's, you know, I don't think we need to add rules unless there is a reason for them. And some rules that FLG has added, I absolutely think there's a reason for. The the bottom line, bottom floor line of sight blocking, I think, is a good addition to the game. Um, but I don't see why this rule was added, and unless there's a reason for it, I don't think we should add rules. Um, so the the reason why, according according to the, the document, uh, the reason why the rules was added were added were um, because of some bad play experience rule interactions with models trying to fly into enclosed ruins um specifically not any enclosed ruins but specifically the itc 
terrain in closed ruins. Um, there, there was there was specifically one example at SoCal Open. Um, multiple examples of the same thing. Example that makes sense. Um, also, uh, another r- reason that recited in the article uh, was that we have a lot of these ruins already. And, you know, we have a, a 800 plus person event that we're trying to prepare for in addition to other events. Um, and so it, it's just a simple necessity at this point that we have to clarify them in some way. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying whether I do disagree or agree with that. I'm just saying that this is what this is Reese's reasoning in the comment section and in the article that he said, um, you know, because yeah, we have a lot of these yeah. a, a lot of these buildings. And that's why, um, you know we felt like we needed to at least clarify them in one way or another. And then close ruin rule was the result of that. Yeah, standardizing the rules for the terrain is good. I like that. I'm glad that this all exists and that he has put something out. But that's a completely separate issue from the enclosed ruin rule itself. Whether or not the rule is good is different from whether or not some kind of rule needs to exist. Now, I have a question. Does the... So, I'm not sure. Have we spelled out exactly? Yeah, I think we did. Sorry. Um, so, my question is, there's a, there's a paragraph here. Some of our buildings have natural openings in them that are quite large. If a model can naturally fit in a ruin with such an opening, they may enter regardless of unit type. Does that apply only to ruin ruins or enclosed ruins as well? That, inclo- that implies... Keyword ruins, that, right? That that would apply to both. So if you... The, so, okay. I, I so do, that's I, not as bad. Hold, hold on. So I do I do know that there are no enclosed ruins that can that can fit like a knight, for example, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Pablo, but there is if there literally was, a picture of that's a not enclosed ruin, that. Sean. That's a regular ruin. That is not okay. an enclosed ruin. It's a ruin ruin. It's a, it's a ruin ruin, not an enclosed <laughs> ruin. If if you want, Sean, there's a you can actually scroll up like like three or four scrolls, and you can see a beautiful red enclosed ruin. Then if you scroll back down three or four scrolls, you see a beautiful green unenclosed ruin with a knight in it. So I think the thing that I want to bring that up for is if there's a and if door, you bend me over and spread my butt cheeks if there's a door and you spread those doors say they're butt cheek shaped whatever yeah and you can walk into it even if you're not infantry if you're say crisis suit sized or drone sized you can walk into an enclosed ruin yes so so if okay if, that's if that's cooler was, this yeah, is a bit if, buried by the way like way deep while it's like if that's the case it's it should probably be emphasized. It, sh- I agree. It should be emphasized, and I think I think that there probably could have there probably could have been a series of articles on this instead of one big article, just explaining like all the different terrain pieces and, and the potential units that can move in and out of them. You know, just something really really comprehensive. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably something that could have been done. Um, I don't know if it is going to be done or not. I just I just think that's a good idea. Uh, but if if you guys if you have a model that can fit through like a doorway, for example, like I've had a, a, a bike be able to fit through a doorway to, to snag an objective through the wall. Um, but he wouldn't have normally been able to gone through, go through the doorway, but it was an enclosed room with a door. So he was able to get fit in. Um, he would still be able to do that. So if there was for that, to use that infamous hanger, uh, enclosed ruin as an example, if there are holes in that ruin, or if the hanger bay doors were open, you could totally have models that can fit through the doors, uh, go in and out. So maybe like a wave serpent, I imagine be able to fit through, but not like a knight. So just to go back, continue to read. Um, and no, they definitely can't go in. So if the train piece has doors built into it, is intended to be able to be entered by units that could typically enter a ruin. So typical units that can typically enter a ruin are just infantry. Right, but but so mm-hmm. so the doors that the doors in question here 
uh, on this point are doors that are that are modeled on the the building there. itself. So if you if you look at the example that they gave, um, we'll use just the first one, which is the bunker. Um, there's an obvious clear door with hazard hazard stripes on it. That's yeah. obviously clear doors. So you know that is an enclosed ruin, right? But if, imagine if that door were to be broken in, bashed in because of like a conversion, or if if that door if those uh the two the two two doors on that door were removed off so that yeah. a model could physically fit through it. Then like a drone, I don't I don't actually have the models on me, so I can't confirm this 100. percent But if a drone could physically fit through the door, then the drone could go into that building. So that's your traditional ruin. Yes, or or whatever room. model, a model that yeah. like a swarm or something. I don't know. So an, enclosed, an enclosed rune is a magic box specifically for infantry or things that can teleport in there. Yes. Cool. Right. I I also I also think that enclosed rune should probably have more openings in them. Um, but anyways, that that's this is basically this is the the way it's going to be. Uh, to my knowledge, um, unless unless uh, something changes between now and January eighth, I, I I also I know Sean might be a little annoyed with some of it, but I'm really excited about them. I think they're awesome. Uh, I think it makes the game much more dynamic, um, a little more zero sum, but not just based on first turn order, based on who shows their hand first by you know leaving the safety of the ruin or not. Um, I believe it's top table of 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 SoCal Open. Like it comes down to. How well, um, not not yeah, so cool. Um, how well Brandon Grant uses the runes that he has in the middle of the table after he gets his Castellan nuked in the first turn, mm-hmm. and uh, he is able to use his terrain in a really brilliant way to you know box out, box out what he needed to, and and hide and stay safe and play the mission, and you know, twenty five percent of his list down, more than that. The other good side about this too, with the clarification and with this being finally defined. Is it was not everyone. In fact, there's only one wall walker that I could name in all the lands of North America. <laughs> uh, but people were entering just like any terrain and just kind of using all of it that way. Um, whether we get a specific answer or not, I do believe Pablo is correct in the sense that these tables are not going to have four or five of these boxes on it. They're not going to have gigantic things. And there are going to be bad matchups. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't disadvantage some lists over others. Absolutely. And I'm sorry. It, it is true. Um, but so the idea so that no like, terrain, right? it is better than that, but also I just, I, I do want to dial back the doomsday a little bit because more often than not, yep, there's some stuff in there, but they are not going to put their whole army in there. And if they are, they're not on all the objectives. They're not probably killing your stuff because they can't shoot out of it, by the way. It's not that magical unless you have indirect fire, but then it's not a vehicle and we're talking mortars or we're talking a couple things, but not much. Hive guard, hive guard will be a bitch by the way. Yep, Absolutely. Um, but I don't want it to get too carried away where it's like 95% feels invalidated. Your winner this year is a guy who took 24 hive guard. Probably not. I would guess. Yeah. So, so I kind of, I kind of want to take this into the, another direction, kind of segue into the, the main meat of the, the podcast is basically, um, how, how do we play around this? Um, because obviously, the enclosed ruins and, and terrain in general can affect certain armies over other armies. Um, but in general, uh, like we saw at the SoCal Open, like we saw at Nova, the top armies will still find a way to succeed and do well. You know, uh, Cooper Waddell, who went undefeated at the SoCal Open, was running flyers. I guess he also had uh, combat infantry, so I probably shouldn't use him as an example. Uh, but there are examples of lists 
who would performly would not perform well with an enclosed ruin meta who did perform well the SoCal Open. So it is possible to do. It's it's not impossible. You know, you're not gonna just because you know you're running Tau. Don't assume that you're not gonna do well at Delvio if you go. You if you are a good player with good fundamentals and a solid list, I, I will still say that you have a chance at doing really well at Delvio. Uh, you're just gonna have to work a little harder than let's say someone like a Tyranid list, right? Um, so Sean, this question's to you. Uh, are you going to be attending the LVO, the 40k champs, and how how are you going to build your lists around this enclosed ruins rule? I mean, you have to take all the indirect fire you can, basically. Um, that was kind of true already. You need weapons that can ignore line of sight to some degree, or you need very high mobility units. The enclosed ruin rule does mean that need those things just may not be enough. Um, because if you have a hangar or some other large enclosed ruin building, it's very possible for the enemy to drop a whole bunch of infantry into it. And the threat radius of a lot of the, the combat infantry that we see at this point in the game is so enormous that, like, you're not going to be able to avoid them and still be playing the game. Because, like, you know, you, you someone drops a unit of 30 boys inside an enclosed ruin you can't really stay away from that because they have like almost a 20 inch radius around that that you will not be able to come into without being in danger or being assaulted um so you're gonna need something to deal with that and if you're a shooting list that has to be some really strong anti-infantry that ignores line of sight yeah i agree uh one thing, one thing that I think a lot of people are, or not a lot of people, one thing I think you're going to see a, make a big comeback at the LVO in the meta is uh, Blood Angels. Um, we talked about this in the stats episode a um, month mm. and a half ago about Blood Angels kind of going into the decline. Comeback. Um, well, so so okay, so they, last didn't year they have two. Wasn't there two uh, Blood Angels in the top eight last year? There were. That's that was that was going to be where I was going to say was that there were there were Blood Angels did really well last year, um, but. In general, Blood Angels weren't performing at that level, like LVO top eight level, um, just according to the stats last year. And this year, um, Blood Angels have been kind of falling off the wayside, as we talked about in the last stats episode. Um, but I think I, I think you're probably going to see a big comeback with Blood Angels, just because a Smash Captain or Mephiston being able to double move into one of these enclosed ruins in the middle of the board is really, really powerful and really, really hard to stop. Right, it's just it, when you have a character with that much reach and that much melee power, um, you know, threatening multiple angles from the middle board and not being able to be touched, and is also a close combat character. So if you want to go in there and kill him, it's not going to be easy, especially if he's backed up by some buddies. Uh, I think that's that's if you you need to be able to play around that if you want to do well. Um, is basically my point. I also think that you're probably going to see a resurgence of Blood Angels players or players with Blood Angels lists uh, doing better at Delvio than than before than what the stats indicated in the past you know three or four months um and, and that's just with my experience with playing with these enclosed ruins uh, and using last year's lbo as an example so uh jeff oh i want to talk i don't want to talk gene circles i want to talk about tyranids and that faction in general they are also another faction who really thrives uh in the in this kind of environment this enclosed ruins environment the lvo um, but we didn't see them do that well last year at the LVO. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if 
I know I know we talked about the flyerants and the rules like that, but how how well do you think they'll do it this year at the LVO um, as opposed to last year? Uh, they'll do better. People were really enamored with flyerants, which um, at this in this terrain they they don't interact with it, so they would be one of the victims of that, right? They can't assault into mm-hmm. it. They can't shoot into it. Their psychic powers need line of sight. Unlike the Elven boys, uh, <laughs> except for Smite. Um, but you're going to see a lot of Gene Stare Cult stuff. People are getting amped up about it and excited. Um, and there's just some players like Nick Rose, which we have to keep mentioning him at a minimum, though, because his head is already, uh, I think it's about 46 pounds. If you put a if you put a, a couple of, like, if you just were to measure it and weigh it, it's about a 46 pound head. So you got to be really careful about mentioning it too much. Um, but he will be there. He is taking Gene Stare Cult. He's had a lot of success. And there's a lot of players mixing that more in there. And then people are kind of finding a good sweet spot with Hive Guard. Like, it used to be really ridiculous, right? right? Like, people are taking 12 and, like, 15 and stuff like that. Like, oh, my God, well, if six are good, then 30 must be even better. That's really not the case. Um, it's a scary list, but it's a it's a bottom it's a bottom tier. It takes up too much points, has bad matchups, and if they get touched, they just die, you know, for the most part. Uh, but six Hive Guard sitting behind some ruins or in some terrain, shooting indirectly, ignoring cover shooting twice that's really devastating that's really good so and also genes they're scuttling around right like getting into a box or, or getting behind terrain and that kind of uh threat range that sean was talking about that is absolutely true for boys but it's also true for gene stealers so i think they'll do okay but i stand by what i said last lvo and this is i'll tell you what i said it and i have yet to have been mugged i don't have any mean emails terran players are not the best players uh generally <laughs> speaking they are really some of the most fun, been around the game a long time, great guys, and competitive players have taken them, but like Matt Root took it when you could abuse taking seven flyerants. Nick Rose took it when you could abuse taking seven flyerants and didn't know half the rules while he did it, by the way. <laughs> um, so like there will be top players to do that. No, oh, I think Nanavati won a tournament. Well, yeah, he got year. second at Warzone. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he won. There he it got is. second with Tyranids. Well, but he, oh my he God, admitted, he's so good. And, and the he he and the best general Adam Abramowix admitted that that specific Tyranid list was geared towards Warzone Atlanta's terrain and rules, and that it would not do well in an ITC environment or at the LVO. Yeah, it's just fine, by the way. Yeah, it's okay. That, yeah, that's there's what happens. ETC meta, there's ITC, there's Nova, there's there's all kinds of stuff. So I'm okay with that. But the point I'm trying to make is, I think Tyranids, if they plan appropriately, will be great here, and people have shelved their flyerins which are great models and they're really they're still good in the game but at, at specifically lvo they won't be that good um and then you did see neurothropes go up 20 points but that's about what they should have been anyways so as long as you take a infantry heavy list backed up by six hive guard yeah. and then you just flood the table with a bunch of stuff that hits pretty hard and add some gene gene circle elements that won't have a codex probably by the way maybe um you're gonna be good you're gonna do well i think that that list that uh none of any Bromowitz, uh we're running at at Warzone Atlanta is very well suited for 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 the terrain and the tables and the objectives of the LVO. In fact, I'm going to contradict you directly, Pablo. I'm pretty sure that that list was not tailored at all to Warzone Atlanta. <gasps> uh, it, and well, I I have uh, talked with uh, Colin uh, Sherman, who has yeah. been running. I don't think he is currently. He's been doing Eldar's of late. But he had a lot yeah. of success with Tyranids through a big chunk of the year here, mm-hmm. using a list that's very similar to that. Like, basically, yeah. uh, my understanding was that Nick tweaked Colin's list uh, that he had built for him um, yeah. in order to function better in the Warzone Atlanta missions and whatnot, but that it was 
on the tabletop a very, very similar kind of army. But it's uh, exactly so, all the good things that uh, that Jeff was just describing. It's yes, you know, it's the indirect fire, not too much of it. It's lots of really fast infantry that can come mm-hmm. get you. Um, it's I, great, I will it's say, a great list. without and I I love Nick Nanabadi, but I don't have his poster over my bed, and I don't. Um, you don't have his rookie card. I'm not on his email list. Yeah, no, I don't have his rookie <laughs> card. But I bet you he takes a list fairly similar to what he took to Nova in that it's going to have like racks are going to be super good in this, in this terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both yeah. good at assaulting and also just staying alive. And if you can cover them up then they're, guess what? They stay alive even better. Um, and then we talked about it, but I don't know that he does this cause he likes to have his kind of own thing, but those three ravagers, man, they're mobile. Oh, they're they're good. good. They put out a lot of firepower, but I, I definitely think you'll see racks out of him. I think you'll see homunculi. That was a really cool technical list that he introduced. A lot of people started to check out, and that was a, a fun thing that he did at Nova. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I want to kind of segue into the third faction, and then we'll talk about the Dark Elder list because there's a lot of really good Dark Elder players that are going to be going as well. Um, and then Colin Sherman, Tyranid players. But uh, Hef, uh, what about orcs? Mm. So orcs are orcs are it's so good. Uh, so good. I agree with that. So good, man. So good. So, so good. we're seeing a lot of, we've already seen a lot of really quality orc players step up and start doing well at these events, start going yeah. to tournaments, um, now that they got their codex, um, as I predicted. But as what predicted. I haven't seen. Wow, Pablo the Oracle, jeez Louise. Man, uh, what I haven't seen. Who would have uh, seen that? Only Pablo. Is kind of a standardized, <laughs> like true the orc list. Um, it, I think there is a the orc list. There is, there is a the orc list. Uh, I've been yes. looking at a lot of lists. So I, I haven't. I haven't seen like, but what what is what is the orc list, and how do you think they'll do well? They'll do at the LVO. This is cool. So I'm um, well. I'll, I'll just try and answer the question directly. I think the orc list is um, anywhere between twenty two and twenty five ludas, sixty grots, and two baboons battalions. I think the orc list is three battalions. The third one is an evil sun's detachment. And then, and then this is where you get to be creative. I think that's where you can sort of choose uh, how heavily you would like to weight towards boys. You probably want at least one unit of, of, of 30 shooter boys. And then outside of that, you can go up to 90 boys, shooter boys, which is what Pampereen's been running with. He's gotten a first, a second, and a third in GTs in the last month and a half. Um, and then he backs that up with, um, with uh, commandos. Yeah, I think he's got three units of 45. 15. 45, yeah, he's yeah. got three units of 15. <laughs> um, so what that list allows him to do, it, because he's got so many command points, is he can reserve basically everything. Um, so that would be at least usually two units of shooter boys and the commandos, so they're ready to come in anywhere up until turn three. And then he's able to, in a lot of cases, just table people with the Ludas. He's not playing on LVO terrain, so this is actually something I find will be very interesting to see how... Um, how the FLG terrain affects this because obviously Ludas can't shoot out of line of sight, but they can move all over the table. Um, so by jumping them around, they'll be fine. They'll, yeah. They should be fine. Yeah, they'll be using, using to jump, they can target most things that are not hiding inside a protection box. Yeah. And they will die. They put out a lot of pretty damn scary shots. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's an ungodly amount of shooting. I, I feel like Pampreen has hit on the list. Uh, plus or minus some some small changes to it. Those the combination of a lot of boys able to reserve and come in off charges. That needing an needing an eight on two dice with rerolls on either or both is super powerful. Not so um, bad, is it? Yeah, it's, it's very the, failable though. 
It is, but when you bring down five units of, you know, 15 to 30 boys in a single turn, and then you start charging with all of them, you're, you're going to make at least a couple of those. Yeah, you're probably going to hit with one of those three of the 30 of, of, of the thirty man units of boys, and then they get to fight twice. Yeah. And that's why I think you could see Nick Donavati looking at this meta and saying, I take Vex. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the, the downside to Luda's... And there are, what's so cool about them, and really elegant, I like the balance of it, is there's other ways to kind of work around them. It's not all in on a one one concept. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have a Grot Shield, they are, you know, they're a six-up save. They will just, yeah. they yeah, will they, die. Yeah, they, they, they become very zero-sum game versus um, versus uh, Dark Eldar. Like, and, and, you know, I played that matchup poorly. But you know, I'll share my experience, <laughs> and it's, I I managed to, of course, forget that you, he could vect not only uh, shoot twice, but also grout shield. So I basically put my Ludas on the table, and then he brought the the ravagers out and murdered them pretty nicely. But the yep. mor- the moral of the story is 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 that becomes a real cat and mouse game um, because there's actually not a lot else in that kind of the 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 Coven's cabal with Eldar friends list that can really threaten them at range. Outside of those ravagers, maybe right. spears if they have them. But... Yeah, yeah. That, the spears are probably not in that build though. Yeah, the spears are a big point investment. Well, then you played an idiot. <laughs> do, <laughs> no, do I played a, a guy. Guy played. Got to play a guy playing with grotesques and talus instead, right? Yeah. Which do are you, super children's painful. play. Outside of outside of Luda's, like let's say if Luda's get tagged or, or wiped out, um, do orcs have a real answer to like talus engines and all those big tough? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 30 boys just at strength 30. 5 and like 4 or 5 attacks each. Goodbye. Yeah. They, they can kill Talos. I don't I don't know. I'm genuinely curious. I've they, never seen that matchup. They, they can. You said, can they kill? And I just said yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, if a squad of 30 boys, even without the, the plus 1 strength charges most things, that thing dies. Uh, that being said, if the grotesques get the charge on the 30 boys, they're, oh, 30 yeah. boys yeah. are dead. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So, uh, it's super not fast. A it's a really cool thing. game. And yeah. also, but then you don't kill them down to one, and then they just green tide. Yeah, yeah, they can. There, there's it. a lot of nasty tools on both sides because the yeah. it's worth remembering the homunculus also have the vexator mask, which can force units to fight last. So really, if you're looking at a unit of gro- of the grotesques, you need to put two units of thirty boys into it to kill it because the first one will yeah. not do the job. It's a fun matchup, and it, yeah. I, th- that's one of the. I know we've already. At least I've filleted the Orc Codex. I mean, at this point in time, it's it's like a regular thing, but like it's just so fun because it's it's a very good codex, mm-hmm. but it's surgical, right? Like if they misplay something or you have a good answer for something, it doesn't. You have you feel like there's a back and forth, which is what you want. You don't want a codex where it's like, oh no no, I just lack that. I just can't really, I can't really do that. That's why with like my custodians, I'm like, hey man, I'm a really good custodian player. If I only roll fours, you're pretty fucked. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If I can't make my charge, I'll tell you what, the feeling of a custodian player that doesn't make his 9-inch charge it is incredibly bad. You're just like, well, I, I maybe will, I'll roll 4s. I will say that the top orc player in the land right now, Rich Kilton, um, as far as I know, is doing everything he can to snowflake his list away from Ludus. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a battle wagon with Burna Boys. So <laughs> well, he's trying. He's, he's literally he's out there trying stuff, right? So that's that's cool. But he's... Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what he brings. He's actually... Like I, I'm the one who argued with you, Jeff, last year about about mm-hmm. when you made the comment about Tyranid plays because I was hot on that codex. I thought a lot of the same things about that book, which haven't really come to pass. But mm-hmm. um, the same is very true about orc players. However, there are good ones out there. Um, 
and a lot of them are actually in the top 10 of orgs right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think they will be guys who will come out with very optimized lists and not only that, but be able to use them very well. And they have the tools. Yep. Yep. And all uh, everything we yeah. talk about the train, it serves orcs very well. It's mm-hmm. going to be... They are going to be one of the things to beat. I do think... I just don't think... They're kind of be... cool. At the top end, I think you can prepare for orcs. That's the, that is one of their kind of problems, right? If, you, if you're like, I have 50 Luda boys, it's like, well, I'm Vect and, you know, I've got spam, so you're just you're in trouble uh obviously that's that's more hardcore but the point is i'm looking at people like your tony grapondos like your nanabody uh and i'm excited i want to see what happens there i'm excited too for nick rose to play solidly like fifth or sixth place which is a phenomenal finish and then complain about not having a codex for the next like two and a half weeks when he then gets a codex well can i just say that on this podcast if you take an index army or you take a list you don't think is the best ever and then complain about it afterwards you're reese Ooh. And you need to you need to think about that. You need to look in the mirror real hard and be like, "Am I running a business? And is that where I, is that okay? That's my excuse. Or am I just playing Warhammer suboptimally and then complaining about it? Because if you are, shit. Well, he's <laughs> shit. he's very disciplined because I I don't hear him complaining about it. On his well, show. then you aren't listening. Very yeah, have you well. ever have you ever watched a stream with Reese? <laughs> Streams are different than the show. Just streams are different than the show. That's true. It's, he he does talk on the show. On the he show talks about that. how he likes the challenge of playing underpowered armies. Well, any Come chance on. you can get to see him on in me in a show together, I'll I'll make sure and <laughs> bring the salt out for you. We'll get the super it. cut there. going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I guess I guess this is going to turn more into an LVO meta talk episode at this point. We're an hour and twenty minutes in. I'm okay with that. Uh, we will we will post a true ter- terrain guide episode um sometime soon what you're gonna do another terrain <laughs> episode? didn't we just spend like 45 minutes what the fuck terrain? pablo hold on, hold on. i what promise do you want to talk about i promise the listeners nova terrain adepticon oh, no. terrain no, no, no. hey everyone thanks for tuning questions. in this is terrain episode two today we're going to be talking about area terrain and how you can use that to your advantage I, I talked to Reese. There may or may not be area terrain on may or maybe three to five tables every ten, and that's my answer. I think that's fifty percent, but it could be forty. Also, I talked to Frankie. Some of them are painted red. Red's good. It's kind of deserty, and also it's green. But I don't know. Also, uh, enclosed and open closed. Those are two different things. I want you to look it up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Oberto Beef Jerky. <laughs> it's delicious jerky. Thanks, oh. thanks for the. I did it. Harsh. Now you're done. <laughs> Harsh. There's a whole lot more to that, obviously. <laughs> you just but, stepped into a slim gym. Mm. <laughs> um. So, uh, I guess continuing on to this topic, because uh, I this is a legitimate question that I had. Um, for Jeff, Custodes, Grey Knights, uh, a lot of those elite armies that got the chapter approved buff. How are they going to do with LVO? Well, actually, joking aside, um, a lot of custody players have moved away from specifically just like it was obviously the big. You know, 18 bikes and two shield captains, right? That list will not do well at the LVO. You will, I mean, it'll do okay, depending on what you, you think is good. But, like, you're not going to break the top eight with that, I don't think, unless you have this re- weird miracle run. Um, for a couple reasons. One, I don't think you're going to see as many flyers. Uh, the train is really bad for flyers. There's just a, a flat-out way to hide from them. So assaulting them with your bikes is not as cool, which means you're not winning as many games because you have the hard counter. And then you're not, the bikes can't go in that. Uh, terrain by the way so you're just kind of floating around on the top of it but it's not all doom and gloom i think a lot of people started moving closer towards like battalions um the alaris terminators are slightly better i think they should have got more than a five point discount but they are 
not the worst option. And then this terrain is flat out good for custodies. It just really is. Like we talk about boys inside of a building. We talk about fucking guardsmen lobbing grenades out of there. Boo hoo. If there's 10 fucking wardens inside of a box, you're about to have the saltiest experience of your life. Yeah. Uh, when they come trumpeting out of there. Now, the amount of people that would take 10 wardens, I used to put that at like 1%. But at the LVO with that terrain, you might actually see it. And the kind of funny thing about this is custody players are some of like the most meticulous hobbyists you'll find. Like they have these beautiful armies because you kind of have to if you're playing custodies. But their units will punch you in the dick and then rip out your face. They will just kill you. And it doesn't even need to be that good of a player that sometimes are like, yeah, man, I've got 10 guys. They just made the charge. They're in the middle of your army. And I killed the one unit that's kind of scary to them. What are you going to, you know, like if you're an orc player and you lose the Ludas and you just have a bunch of boys and I'm making my two-up saves. Oh, <laughs> it's bad. So I think custodians could do quite well there. Um, the the kind of scary thing about that, and I, I, I want to, if you are thinking about taking custodians, just don't, right? Because I'm going into the LBO as number one custodian player, but I'm not going to get the play. So <laughs> listen, this is my plead. Mike Porter and all you other sons of bitches that kind of moved on to other things like I did. Uh, do not take custodians to the LBO because everything I just said is wrong. I think they're going to do quite bad. <laughs> take a knight and like some guardsmen. And if you want to be really cool, mix in some sisters in there, man, for sure. <laughs> no, I think they'll do well. I think that does that. Do you think they have the equivalent to the uh, the 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 Blight Lord Terminator brick? Same same idea by by running better. a big unit. Yeah, they they are better. They the the Blight Lords was interesting for what it was, and they could do good, good here as well. But I'm not ready to say the Blight Lords are coming out. Get ready. But uh, like we kind of talked about, very realistically, you're, again, you're not going to look at a table that has like five of these pieces of terrain, but you're going to play on of your six games three, four, five games where there is a building or two or maybe three where infantry can go in there. And if your list just can't deal with that, you're in trouble. Well, one of the best units to take advantage of that is custodies, but also they're very commonly allied with assassins, with guard. So you've got mortars coming out of there. You've got 10 infantry that you can't shoot. Sure, but the knight doesn't benefit oh, from this. Oh, your so. point. Yeah, I see. It's your point. Yeah, you're right. Uh, assassins are a pain in the ass. Nobody's talking about them. Um, the Calidus went down to 70 points. I don't think this is game-changing, but it takes her value and it, it elevates it, right? Uh, command points are at a premium. She can get around the table. I know. I, I'm not ready to say it's like the end-all, be-all, but she got better. She flat-out did. And, and for some lists, it's going to be a problem. If there is Vect across the table and you've got a Calidus, yeah, that's that's a pretty big issue. Uh, so the things that are associated with um, Custodes are okay. What I will say, though, is chapter-approved did not do that much for them and it did a lot more for others so i'm not willing to say look out for custodies at lvo because i just i think the guard should have gone down five or ten points i think allers should have gone down probably five more points for a total of ten wardens went down like five or whatever it is but they're already an elite choice in an army that can't even fit its own troops in there for the most part so it's like (laughs) what i mean it's not going to be that big of a deal trahan's going to be stomping around trahan in a box oh my god trahan in a box that's gonna be good <laughs> so i think they'll do well at the lower levels and i could see some people i could the kind of funny thing is is like nick Natavati, who is in my opinion the best player in the world or at least way up there if we want to name somebody else he's just in the top two or three if not number one him with like the list we kind of talked about against a decent custody player on a table crammed with boxes and shit it could cost him points if not even like a weird situation where he gets in a lot of trouble because 
If you don't have high AP, if you're not having hard-hitting stuff, custodians don't die, and they can sit objectives, and they're obsec, and they will they'll beat your face in. So what about, it's going to make for some scary matchups. I think uh, I think just that that sort of archetype that that really durable, smashy unit, like even wraith blades. I don't know if you're yeah. crazy Yo, saying that, but yeah. like, wraith blades mm-hmm. can dump out a dump track of dice. And again, if they don't have to be worried so much about getting blown away. And they can control a piece of the field. Well, nothing can enter that zone. Ogren, you know, like anything like that, I think, yeah. is really useful. Or Mega Knobs is something I'm thinking about. I know a lot it of makes the meta interesting because if you know there's not going to be that much terrain, then a lot of these units we would otherwise not really talk about, right? Like they're really auxiliary or they're not that good. Uh, and again, I don't necessarily disagree with what, what Sean was saying. I'm not trying to put them on, on blast or something like that. But it, it is unfair to some codexes, and that's too bad. But it will be, I think we'll see more interesting lists. I really hope that we still don't just see, you know, top eight, five of them are a Castellan Raven with a hundred Catachan bodies. And then, oh, wow, that guy put Celestine in there. Wow. What a <laughs> forward thinker that guy is. Probably that the hundred Castellan uh, Catachan bodies, though, are going to be tough to deal with, too. Yep. You know. Well, that list is good there. Yeah, you got so the good. indirect fire missile. Yeah. So if you're in a box, cool. <laughs> They just put more mortars in there. They put some basilisks in there. They put wyverns in there, which they should have anyways, probably. <laughs> Maybe less flame tanks because they're not as uh, not as cool. But yeah, the, the Artemia is of... probably going away, but you're probably going to see more basilisks and other heavy fire support. Do we yep. do we see those special detachments move the meta in any way? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just about to talk about them actually. So yeah. the the space there's the space the ring ones. The the astromilitarian ones I think are probably the best. But I, I best is you know very loosely defined because I think they're all really good, um, hmm. with the exception of some fringe ones which are okay. Um, Stomp them up for life. <laughs> Terrible. Also, also one one redheaded stepchild. Um, but the space marine there's already there's already been a lot of space marine players and there's always been a resurgence of space marine players um, just in general in ITC events. Um, so I think that we're definitely going to see a lot more at the LVO. I know last year at the LVO and the year before that, Space Marine players were on the decline, um, with Eldar players usurping them as the number one most played faction. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this time around. I think with the Primaris uh, special detachment and the number of people who play Space Marines and who are bringing these off-the-wall weird Space Marine lists, I think that's something that you really have to kind of watch out for, is, is can you kill a bunch of power armor you know, two wound models like Primaris Intercessors or or and coupled with all these powerful characters and can you deal with all that in addition to just random stuff like Tarantulas or Land Raider Achilles or whatever Sakarans, whatever weird tool Space Marine players have access to that I consistently see these Space Marine players do really well with, you know, like just because just they brought them, because they they got lucky and they rolled the right matchup. Right? So there's there's a lot of tools that I think that Space Marines have access to that uh, players aren't going to be able to deal with. Um, so I think we'll probably see, like, uh, maybe even in the top eight. I doubt it, but but more likely 5-1 uh, or top 32 or top 64 or whatever, uh, whatever 5-1 is. I, we're probably going to see a really weird Space Marine list that has, like, a Leviathan Dreadnought and maybe some other Forge World vehicle we've never heard of, plus a mix of Primaris Marines and characters and, and, and like, maybe it's Salamanders or something. I think that's an actual list that you can do really well with at Thelvio now especially after Vigilist Defiant. I, I don't know. I think I think the Space Marines are going to do a lot better than they've been doing, but I 
I would not call a space Marine for six and zero or in five and one is kind of going to be one of those like, Oh, he got some good matchups kind of situations. Mm. I still don't think space Marines are great. They're all right, but they're better, but you... well, yeah, I mean, they got points drops and they got some detachments that give them new options, but I don't think this really fundamentally changes anything for them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're definitely not my favorites to, to make the top eight. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing them up is because you're going to see a lot of them and they're going to oh, be more sure. dangerous than they were in the past. Uh, we've got a guy on our team, um, Sean Sharp from Relentless D, who runs these weird like Dark Angels lists with random Forge World Dreadnoughts, just whatever <laughs> flavor of the month he runs. And he consistently beats people like Mike Snyder and, and top players in that region with good lists, just with his random list. He's always like, oh yeah, I, I just killed Cat Lady with a with a Derradeo and a Lucky Roll and, and all this stuff. And he just lost. And we're like, how did you... He shows us his list and he's got like five Dreadnought models. And we're like, how did you even pull that off? And um, looking at that guy who did really well with the Imperial Fist list, uh, and then this guy with the Ultramarines kind of mixed power armor list, and some of the other lists I've seen pop up, um, I don't I don't see it being like an infeasible thing, right? Uh, I don't think like Nick Nadavati or Sean Naden are going to get upset by some random Space Marine player, um, but a lot of those you know uh, bridesmaid type players who consistently flirt with being making the top eight events like this, I think you're going to see some of those players fall victim to that. Uh, space realist. So if you're one of those players, I'd maybe you know take just take an extra look at what the vi- visualist defiant does, what that space marine detachment you know brings to the table, um, and maybe consider how you're going to deal with random tough space marine units that that actually hurt. Basically, that, that's my main point there. Um, also, <laughs> Death Watch. Want I want to see a Death Watch player do really well. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure yeah, the Death we, Watch players want to do well. <laughs> they do get your, I think Death Watch is ludicrous. By a surprising amount. Like those cheap storm shields and cheaper intercessors are both pretty big for them. Air Death Watch, your ludicrous top eight uh, no. prediction. Now that orcs are not ludicrous to make no, the top I, eight, I'm gonna. I'm still gonna predict orcs to make hmm. the top eight. Uh, I, well, I that's pick horse. <laughs> How could you do that? No, you can't. You can't pick them this year. I, I, do, I do that every year. Three yeah, years orcs in a row. Are, Let, orcs are such a dark horse. Do you think there will be a knight in the top eight? Probably going to go real crazy on this Wait, one. Say that again. <laughs> no. If there's going to be a knight in the top eight, uh, go real crazy. Well, the the reason why I've been picking no orcs to make the top eight, eight is because they have, unlike Tyranid players, they have a dedicated group of really elite players who Whoa. who play their play their list and actually are really really good players. Right? And that, that's a dedicated elite orc player. We actually uh, Rich conspire Kilton. against the meta. Rich Kilton? Rich Kilton. Yeah. Dedicated elite orc player. You wanted one, I gave you one. Where's he from? He's from Utah. He's from Utah. You're gonna tell me. Never mind. Get close. <laughs> Alright, Mike Bring calls it the dark horses Yanari. I mean, what are the chances, right? <laughs> Sean, you crazy dog! I know, right? If, yeah, sorry, if, sorry, Pablo. Orcs are not a dark horse. If, this if you year. really, if you really want me to make, uh, you know, some crazy off the wall Pablo prediction, I do think that a space ring power armor list has the tools. And I'm not going to predict the list to the chapter because they're so varied. But I would not be surprised if, like, you had like a Mark Wright or some random space marine, you know, list with a bunch of power armors just make the top eight because he got really lucky and. And he's just been using wow. his rules, you know. Sorry, Mark. Right for all that shade that Paul just threw. Really... <laughs> yeah. he's. I, I would. I would apologize more, but I haven't seen him perform well since last this since the LVO. Mm. 
Can I toss one over to Jeff? Yeah. What uh, with chapter proof? What are your thoughts on on Admech? I've just heard about Reese's now. You know, four hundred points less in his list or whatever. Do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you think they got more legs? No. Uh, I mean, yes, they did get more legs, but specifically LVO. The biggest problem that Admech has in general is is like board presence, and that would be indirect fire or just being able to get out and melee something down and then take that objective from them or whatever even shoot them off of it. Um, Vigilus gives the Castellans the ability to move and shoot more reliably, which is nice, but there's just going to be some line of sight blocking that really hurts them. They pair well with guard, but they don't pair best with guard, so to yeah. predict them to do like better than the other stuff is really hard for me to do. That being said, I want to give a shout-out to Jason Wolf, a player who's moved around the country, played on the East Coast. I think he's still in California, but I'm not sure. Uh, but he's going to be taking, at least if he follows through that he wants to take 33 units of 10 infiltrators uh which is like we laugh but it's actually for like 185 points or whatever it is they're pretty good with wrath of call they actually still get to infiltrate and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i don't i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and be like guys this is the new meta but it's gonna catch some people off guard it's got the daca it's got the it, they actually have melee as well so they yeah. have the four um, shot like uzis or whatever they are five yeah. i think yeah, yeah it's like Crazy. five strength three or something like that there's it's a three lot rolling. of shots yeah mr wolf They're... is also a really good player too he's not yeah. he's not like so it, and that, that's another thing i, I guess we, we we get into this and this is mostly my fault uh we get into this like faction talk because it, it's more relative to people at home who, who maybe don't know all the names of all these players uh, but as reese always says it, it's really more safe to bet on the jockey not the horse um in in that we'll mm. we'll definitely see the same names in the top eight using various lists, um, uh, with maybe a few exceptions, a few people who've never been there before. Um, but for the most part, and I think this LVO, it's it's probably going to be more true than ever. Is um you're going to see people, you're going to see a lot of people who who are performing really well make it into the top eight because there's so many people, and I know that that's that's not the most that's not the way that's supposed to be because there's you know more people have a chance, oh. but. Chapter Proof made this game better. Mm-hmm, Vigilus has introduced interesting concepts. I don't think any one of them is going to change the meta entirely, but they're good. They're fun. We will see more powered armor. Um, everyone has their codex except for Gene Sir Colt. And honestly, fuck you. No, I'm just, but that's, you know, it's too bad. But for the most part, uh, also sisters are good and they'll be, they'll be interesting. And they're going to yeah. catch some people off guard because they play very differently. They got their beta codex. That's legal. You'll see it there. Um, and a lot of armies that needed help got better with chapter proof. I think people would tell you they needed more, uh, specifically like Necrons and stuff like that. Yep, I would agree. But you're going to see more diversity than we saw last year. You're going to see more stratagems and tactics and units than we did last year. And we're going into this with hopefully not too much of a dominant meta list. Um, I still think, and this is too bad that we're still saying this because I really wish chapter proof did more to affect this. But the Castellan with Guard is still going to be extremely so good. good. Yes. And there's going to be a lot of people who literally are like, I painted Joey Trobeck out of Minnesota to paint it up, and he just got it done. And I'll tell you what, I, I phoned my wife on Sunday, and I said, honey, I'm, I'm fucking 4-0. I can't believe it. It's so good. Uh, there's going to be a lot of that. It's a really, it, this terrain, sure, the Castellan will only kill what's outside the box. Well, that's most of your army. And then it also has indirect fire, so... The shit in the box is in trouble. And if your strategy was, I'm going to sit back in a box and be safe, 
the Castellan guard list is going to rock your fucking socks, and you're going to lose that game. So catch into business. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough meta to step into because you don't get the option of being like I'm going to hide in a box and that'll win because uh, the meta is going to be saturated with the Castellan and then killing the Castellan like everything Sean complained about, which I again don't necessarily disagree about. It's tenfold with the Castellan, right? Like who has the ability to get through a three plus plus tough eight mm. twenty eight wound model that can just go top tier for the entire game anyways? That is something that not I would say most lists cannot do, and if you do. You're facing the fucking orc list that has 155 bodies. Guess what you don't have? So it's a tough meta. Yeah, and and of course, a list we've we've only glossed about or or maybe even not mentioned at all. Uh, Inari, I think, are going to be in that same boat. I, I didn't really see Inari lists get affected a whole lot by chapter approved. Inari uh, lists basically lose one squad of troops to the point changes and otherwise remain unaffected. Inari are still super powerful. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, and we're definitely going to see them in spades um, at the LVO, you know, and performing really well. Um, so, uh, do you guys think? I, I guess while we're since I made some, you know, you guys made me it made me make some crazy off the wall prediction. Um, what are you guys' predictions? You? Yeah, you guys did <laughs> totally. Oh man, I'm ready to call this <laughs> shot. I got it. All right, so I've been, so I've been thinking on this one. What what are some some top eight hot takes, or what are some LVO predictions and hot takes um, that you guys are, want to mention now that we're coming into the final home stretch? Go, Sean. I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna call the entire top eight, not players, just armies. I don't think I can call players. Okay. But, uh, oh, wow. We're gonna see two orcs. Uh, they're going to be different orc builds, not just two Ooh. clones the same. We're going to see both two Yanari lists that are essentially identical to each other. We're going right. to see, I think, a Tyranid, a Tau, a Space Marine, and something really weird. Actually, well, I'm going to call the last one. The Space Marine is going to take the weird slot. We're going to say Castellan list is the is number eight. Yeah. Sounds fair. It's pretty wild. Pretty, pretty out there. I agree with the Tau, by the way. This is something we should spend an episode talking about, but... Maybe not LVO, but Tau got way better after chapter approved. They, yeah, yeah, I I wrote they a whole article low. on this. Tau come out as chapter approved really good. And FAQ. Like specifically the the fly nerf I thought was really good for Oh yeah, yeah. For Tau. They're they're strong and they are there's some good players taking them. Uh what I like about it too is it's not necessarily the three riptides, although that doesn't necessarily have to be like that's not bad. It's, it's a good really list, good, but, but I don't think it's the only list. They have options now. And it doesn't have to be the East Coast thing where the guys all ordered three Tiger Sharks or whatever. Like, that's not my ass. <laughs> tiger Shark Probably is not gone. Do... That thing's dead. Yeah. Uh, I love what we're starting to sound more and more like Reese as, as uh, GW fixes that a little bit more. You know, like, oh, Tau. Oh, they're pretty good. They're really good. You know, uh, Space Marines, they got a lot better. They're pretty good. Well, they're really good. They've got a chance. My point being is that... Um, and I think this is a good thing is a lot more armies. Uh, it feels like a lot more armies and factions have a striking chance at doing well as opposed to last year. And especially compared to seventh edition. Oh God. Yeah. Um, where if, yeah, you know, like, like just if for those of you who complain consistently about eighth edition, go play a game of seventh edition unmodified. Because you remember, or don't. Pe- people were complaining about a tournament, seventh edition tournaments after the ITC went in and changed a bunch of different things, right? You know, it, so anyways, it's it we're we're in a we're in a point in 40k where the meta is extremely diverse, um, and you 
you really need to take into thing into account things like um, spe the specific terrain you're going to see at an event, the the specific list that you're going to see people play, every single small minute rule. Um, I I think that that players are going to have to prepare for too much, um, which is going to lead to a lot of parity um, and a lot of really good drama and upsets. Uh, also, there there's going to be so many good players coming to the LVO this year. I'm I'm super excited. It's crazy. I'm excited. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't know how much I can say, but they can't fire me, so it's fine. Uh, maybe they can, but either way. <laughs> um, the coverage of the LBO is going to step up. And this is honestly something we could have seen from last year. It's going to be great. Um, GW wants to stream it and have commentators there and, and make it a nice big streaming thing. So if you aren't able to attend, you should be able to rely on some pretty fantastic stuff. Uh, and also Frankie. And also oh, yes. Frankie. So I guess, are you able... I if you're able to talk about this but like i assume it's the flg gear unless they bring over their own like will there be multiple streams this year because like gw and flg used to have their own streams as, um, well that's this not specific finalized I can't get yet. Into yeah it all. can't get into all that no. okay cool my bad yeah it's they'll they'll have stuff though when it's all finalized they'll be it, it won't be a mystery yeah and okay yeah, yeah. And, and i do agree with jeff the coverage the at this year at the lvo is going to be spectacular no matter no matter how it's going to be done how it's going to be implemented it's it's going to be um if you like the nova coverage it's going to be the nova coverage and more um no matter what no matter how you know no matter what they add or remove it's going to be a lot more um because judo can only improve from the nova coverage <laughs> uh yeah anyways uh thank you guys very much for listening that's going to be the episode we're in an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, if oh. you guys liked this episode, if you guys liked um, previous episodes, head on over to FrontlineGaming.org and just put some comments in there. Give some listens. Uh, let Reese know that you like Chapter Tactics. Um, also, you can let me know at FrontlineGamingPDPob at gmail.com uh, where you can email me for tournament lists, any questions you guys have, uh, if you guys want me to clarify anything, or if you guys want to listen to any episodes in the future, topics you want me to cover, etc., etc., uh, email me. I, I love getting all of your guys' emails. I try to respond to as many as I can. Uh, and, of course, you can head over to FrontlineGaming.org where you can purchase all things 40k and tabletop-related FLG mats, ITC terrain, 40k, new in-box, and used, and so much more. Jeff, Everybody, I, Sean, can I about, put in a plug here before we, uh, we close things out? Good. Just about to uh, ask, Sean. You got it. Yeah. What, one of my friends is... Uh doing a charity event he is we're going to be streaming 48 hours of games with two different games at a time so you have basically 96 hours of continuous tournaments uh by a whole bunch of the really good players nick Nadavati, myself colin sherman mitch pelham aurelio corella uh just a bunch of really good guys uh it's going to be charityhammer.com is the spot you can watch for free but we'd really appreciate it if you could donate something to us it's all going to benefit child's play so gonna be toys and games for kids who are in the hospital and could really use a little bit of perking up Beautiful. And when it, when is the stream the streams will be happening january 4th 5th and 6th uh starting at i believe 4 p.m um and they will be available to uh, purchase and rewatch after the event is done yeah it Really check it out, guys. Uh, charity streams like this are not super common, um, and uh, we're definitely going to be, you know, pushing it more harder. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out. Mm. It's a great event. Sounds sounds like it's going to be a great event. Uh, Jeff Hef, any any plugs? Go Val. I was just going to say, um, if if we don't get to talk, 
Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And also, maybe everyone out there ask uh, Santa Pablo for for a Christmas episode. And uh, (laughs) we we can all hang out and and, and unwrap some presents. Jingle some bells. Jingle some bells, Christmas presents. Well, at a certain age, you're always jingling some bells, I guess. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we've got a couple more episodes planned for the rest of the year, including our end of the year roundup. So be excited for that. And, and as always, have a good one.